You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. All right, everyone, uh, welcome to Politics Weekly, episode 64. Uh, I'm here with a very special guest this week. Uh, he considers himself the godfather of the Bernie or Bust movement. Um, he was also, uh, he's also a writer for the website Newsweek, uh, Mr. Victor Tiffany. Victor, thank you for joining me. Nolan, thank you for having me. And if I just a little correction, I, I offered a uh, an opinion piece for Newsweek. I'm I'm not exactly a writer for them. All right. Um, now, uh, what got you interested in the uh, the Bernie or bust movement to begin with? It stemmed from a conversation on a street corner, as we laid out in our book, Bernie or Bust: Pioneers for Electoral Revolt. They discussing in late. April of 2015, that Bernie could probably win a national election, but he can't win the Democratic primaries because they're rigged by superdelegates. And of course, they were rigged by much more than that, as it turned out. Even Donna Brazil, uh, in an article published in Politico, laid out that uh, the Clinton campaign funded the DNC, controlled the DNC, controlled hiring, firing, and messaging of the DNC. When you have that much control, nobody, Jesus Christ himself, couldn't uh, take the nomination away from her. So it was thoroughly rigged in 2016, more than we knew. But anyway, that conversation went forward into, uh, you know, if, he, if, if we can't get him, if he can't win as a uh, Democrat, maybe put him on the ballot as a, as a uh, Green Party or Green Socialist Party or some, some minor party like that, and then the thought was, well, he would sue and just get his name taken off the party because he didn't want to be a spoiler. And a friend of mine said, well, what about a writing campaign? And at the time, I thought that sounded brilliant because he couldn't stop us. And that's the whole point of this. What we're doing is not something Bernie Sanders has any control over. Neither does the Democratic Party. Nobody does. That's what makes us so potent and so scary to so many people. Uh, so we ran with it, and it wasn't until six months later when this thing really started to take off in December of 2015 that we realized, oh, wait, this, this is not such a good idea. We, all, we, we had a big debate whether we were going to convert it over to Bernie or Green 2016 or something like that, you know, and, and make, make the Green Party the, um, the alternative. Uh, and then we finally just said, all right, we'll keep it Bernie or bust, and we'll add to the option of writing in Bernie Sanders in the general election, voting green in the general election, which is what we primarily got behind, because the write-in idea turned out to be a very bad idea. They can't, they don't, they don't count those votes in most states. So we have no way of measuring our strategy. But, you know, did, did, did this work? Did or bust work, or did, did Hillary Clinton just lose on her own? 
we were fortunate enough to be able to measure that in Pennsylvania and answer that question. But um, at any rate, that's how it began. It's just from a street corner conversation, and I ran with it, had somebody start a super PAC and got some people behind it, and next thing you knew, there were dozens of people promoting Bernie or Bust over social media in 2015 and 2016. Um, all right. So um, now back in 2016, uh, when you started this, uh, there were not many Democrats that ended up running for the Democratic nomination. There were only five, uh, only two of which, uh, Bernie Sanders, the progressive candidate, and Hillary Clinton, the more moderate candidate, were the only two that were taken seriously. Um Obviously, now you're seeing a sharp contrast to that. There, there are still 17 or 18 uh, Democrats left in the field uh, for president of the United States. Um, are there any? Is there any of those candidates? Any of the 17 candidates? If if Bernie Sanders doesn't win the Democratic nomination, uh, are there any of those other 17, 16, 17 other candidates? that you would be willing to vote for, or is it still Bernie or bust? So there's a line that was drawn in 2016 between the progressives in this current race and the, and the um, neoliberals. And by the way, moderate is a euphemism for neoliberal. Let's be very clear about that. These neoliberals are very dangerous people, as we point out in that Newsweek article published this week. Um, and we didn't draw that line. They drew the line. Most of these candidates running this time around supported Hillary Clinton. They were superdelegates for Hillary Clinton, including Elizabeth Warren. One other candidate besides Bernie aligned with Bernie Sanders, and that was Tulsi Gabbard. So there's your, there's your line that was drawn last time. We're, we didn't draw that line. So Tulsi Gabbard really is the answer to your question, but it's a little, a little more complicated or involved than that, which is, Knowing Tulsi was a fairly decent uh, progressive, she's obviously not a lifelong progressive, and she's uh, got some imperfect policy positions, to put it mildly. We, we wanted to include her somehow. So how do you include somebody in an, in an exclusive strategy, right? It's Bernie or bust. That's very exclusive. It's Bernie or we exclude everyone else. So how do you include somebody? And this was really the only pioneering aspect of of uh, the strategy this time around how do you include somebody it took us a few weeks to figure out how to include Tulsi in an exclusive strategy and what we ended up doing was saying look if Bernie Sanders drops out of this for any reason we will seamlessly slide over from Bernie or bus to Tulsi or trash the Democratic Party so that's the answer it, she's not gonna become the nominee she doesn't have the machine she doesn't have the uh, organization on the ground to uh, win enough delegates the way Bernie does. So she's not going to become the nominee. But if somehow through a brokered uh, convention, and, and she's not going to be the outcome of that either, but we would vote for uh, Tulsi Gabbard. We find uh, Elizabeth Warren to be a faux aggressive, a fake progressive. She aligns herself. She aligned herself with Hillary Clinton. She still aligns herself with the party establishment. And she's consulting with Hillary Clinton. Elizabeth Warren is not a hero of of progressives in any way. And progress or birdie or bust is really about voting our conscience when we go to the polls in eleven 
or uh, November 3rd, 2020. We are voting for a progressive candidate, and that's not Elizabeth Warren, and that's none of the rest of these candidates are in, in this race. And even Tulsi's questionable on that regard, but, but her foreign policy position is progressive enough that, that we would support her. It's just not uh, likely to happen. And uh, unlike the um, slime bag, sleazy attack from Hillary Clinton recently, She's not going to be running as a third party. She's made that very clear. So uh, our, our choices are Bernie or uh, either Green Party or Socialist Party. If the Democrats want to win, and, and this is the point of the Newsweek article, they're going to have to nominate Bernie Sanders. There are millions and millions of people who will not vote Democrat unless Bernie's the nominee. Now, I just want to spell this out a little bit because people might be thinking, but there's so many people who won't vote for Bernie. He's a socialist, you know, and there's plutocrats. They're going to go out and fund Bernie, uh, Donald Trump, which is true. These, these plutocrats that back the Democratic Party have already said if Warren, somebody as tepid as Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, they're going to support Donald Trump. So these people who pretend to be Democrats are actually fascists. Let's be very clear about that fact. The, the one percenters, the, the Biden or or bust, if you will, plutocrats, will back uh, Donald Trump and, and set up a classic struggle between, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, between people, working class people, and fat cats, the plutocrats. And if you want this country run by fat cats and the 1%, Donald Trump is your man. If you want a democratic a democratic form of government, then Bernie Sanders would be the man. And I think most people... Uh, given that choice, most people will uh, vote for uh, a democratic socialist. Um, now, PBS uh, conducted a study uh, that, and they found they estimated that about twelve percent uh, of uh, people that supported Bernie Sanders uh, during the 2016 Democratic primaries ultimately voted for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, during the general election. Uh, why do you think that is, and do you think that if Bernie Sanders loses the nomination, uh, there's a potential that could happen again? It, it's more than a potential. There's an Emerson College poll out, I believe it was April of this year. That 12% is being polled now at 26%. And these aren't Bernie or Busters. These are Swing voters, we call them low information swing voters. The reason they're doing that is because these are poor people or working class people who recognize the Democratic Party is no longer a party of the working class. It's not. It's a party. It's become a party of the plutocrats. The people who are backing Elizabeth Warren are the same people who were backing uh, Hillary Clinton four years ago. These are these are successful doctors and lawyers and, and people like that. These aren't working class people struggling to make it. Those people are supporting Bernie Sanders. So back to the Bernie or Trumpers. Remember, 12% supported or voted for Trump last time. 8% of us either wrote in Bernie Sanders or voted for Jill Stein in 2016. And those numbers, that 20% total, was enough to defeat Hillary Clinton. So now the numbers are even bigger. First of all, it's 26% according to one poll, and of course that's only one poll, it might be an outlier. 
but there are more people who are going to do that this time than last time. And Bernier bust is bigger this time than it was last time. And we know that because the New York Times published an essay by a girl 17 years old who's going to be a first-time voter next year. And she declared herself to be part of the Bernier bust generation. And that's where I got this idea, wow, I must be a godfather to a whole generation. And I, uh, so a couple things. First of all, I looked up that word to find out if I was using it right. And it turns out being the founder of this movement, the primary um, administrator of this movement does make me the godfather of the movement. I'd rather use the word founder, but godfather is the right word. And the other point is we nodded, we needed to confirm, is she, is she just talking crap or is there really a burn your bus generation? And I've gotten confirmation that from, I've gotten confirmation that yes, there are people who will be voting for the first time and the second time. And their idea of or bus means staying home. So they're not exactly formal Bernier busters, but there are but they nevertheless lend themselves to the fundamental idea of strategy. Yet the strategy is leverage. If Bernie is not the nominee, the Democrats will lose. That's our pledge. That's the strategy. It's now, as I point out in the Newsweek article, it's a warning. Well, you know, it's not even a threat anymore. It's not even a prediction anymore. It's a warning because we see these numbers that are even more uh, clear this time around than they were last time. You said 12% voted for Trump. 26%, more than double, are going to vote for Trump this time around. And there's more Bernier busters. We don't know how many more because nobody's polled these uh, post-millennial first-time voters. But we know they're out there. It could be a thousand. It could be a million. All right, they haven't been polled, but but they represent a supplement to what we officially call Bernier bust. So, to answer directly answer your question, because I hate it when politicians don't answer a question. To directly answer your question, um, they they've given up on this neoliberal party. They've given up on a party that outsources their jobs with free trade agreements like NAFTA and the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So they see Trump as uh, a rebel in that regard. They see Trump as an agent of change, and they'd rather go with someone like that. And I guess they consider that better than voting Green or Socialist Party because maybe they think locked inside a two-party mental prison, maybe they think that that matters more than voting green or that matters more than voting socialist, even though I find it utterly tasteless and, and revolting to, to, to support a, a uh, neo-fascist like Donald Trump. But that's the reason. The, the bottom has fallen out. The bottom of support has fallen out from the center, from the neoliberals. And they don't know it yet. They don't realize it yet. They they. They think, uh, I don't know what they think, maybe Russia was, was the reason Hillary Clinton lost, or the FBI is the reason Hillary Clinton lost. The reason Hillary Clinton lost is because th there's, no, there's not enough support by working class of, uh, Americans, particularly the flyover states, in order to elect another neoliberal centrist. The, 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 there's just not enough support anymore. If the Democrats want to win, it's not that they're best shot is Bernie Sanders. We're arguing in that Newsweek piece, the only chance the Democrats have of defeating 
Donald Trump this time around is Bernie Sanders. It's not a threat. It's a, it's a warning. It's like an alarm going off. Listen to this alarm and get out of this building. Only in this case, it's not a fire alarm. It's an electoral alarm. Listen to this alarm and nominate Bernie Sanders, or you're going to lose on November 3rd, 2020. Um, now, uh, you said earlier, you said, oh, well, if you want a fat cat uh, type candidate, vote for uh, Donald Trump. Why would a Bernie Sanders supporter um, who, who votes for this candidate who is against um, what you describe as the sort of fat cat, uh, uh, corporate neoliberal candidates, why would they go from that to supporting uh, a fat cat corporate candidate like Donald Trump, in your opinion, instead of just voting for a third party candidate or a right or writing in Bernie Sanders? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, kind of hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Um, it, it took me a while. I, I just couldn't grab it until I finally realized that these are swing voters. There's, there's always been swing voters, right? Who they, they maybe they, they don't make up their mind until the last minute, things like that. So you've got somebody who the, the, the these working class, these desperate people who, um, are sick and tired of Democrats outsourcing their jobs with these free trade agreements. I didn't think trade was all that significant in presidential elections, but they sent because NAFTA outsourced what a, a million jobs, uh, thousands of companies have moved to Mexico, and, and and millions of Americans have lost their job because Bill Clinton gave us NAFTA, and they knew Hillary Clinton was going to give us the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and and these people are just fed up with this uh, indifference, the, the this uh, these. Um, what am I trying to say? These crumbs that come trickling down from these plutocratic Democrats and these neoliberals, it's not enough. So why would they go to Trump? You know, I can't speak for millions and millions of people who are Bernie or Trump. But the, but my best estimate is, first of all, they, they're locked inside a two-party mental prison. Most of us are. Very few people vote third party because they just don't see it as relevant. They don't. You know, the media dr drives this into us. There, there is a, uh, the, the media today, the news media is not news. They are uh, forcing a, an, an understanding of the world that suits the establishment, the neoliberal establishment. They are creating consent for the empire. They are creating consent for this neoliberal or, or globalized order where, yeah, jobs get outsourced and, tough on you working class people uh and, and and americans are just getting sick of it so they so they see trump and again i can't speak for every one of them i'm not one of them i would never vote for donald trump but they see him as an agent of change he's a con man he's he sells himself as as against the establishment even though most of his policies uh resemble hillary clinton's whether it was bombing syria or uh or deregulation of, of industries, he, you know, these are neoliberal characteristics, and and he's, and I'll take his uh, USMCA, his trade agreement, because this is, again, this is supposed to be key. He, there are elements of the USMCA that are better than NAFTA. I'm going to give Trump credit for that. But there's also still 
a chapter called Investor State Dispute Settlement. And I don't know who came up with this idea. It's part of NAFTA and allows foreign-based corporations to sue we, the people, our government, uh, for lost profits because they don't get their way. All right, so I'll give you an example of a successful lawsuit. We used to be able to have a law in this country called color, sorry, country of origin labeling, the cool law, so that food that came into this country had to be labeled where it, was, where it came from. Are you from Mexico? Are you from Canada? Again, this was a, a general rule, but a foreign-based corporation in NAFTA, so it had to be someone in Mexico or someone in Canada, sued the United States over that law. They didn't. I don't know how labeling food interferes with corporate profits, but they won that that lawsuit in this private corporate tribunal. That's what the investor state does. Uh, dispute settlement is is heard in it, it's in a it's not a legal uh, court of law it's in these private corporate tribunals and and I guess we lost that case and so now instead of paying the fine that that we would have had to pay we simply drop the law so these corporations are literally taking over our system of government through the process of free trade and in USMCA there's still a narrowly applied investor state dispute settlement chapter focusing on energy, oil, and gas. Right? So if an oil company wants to sue through this investor state dispute settlement, Trump is allowing that through the through his trade agreement, which by the way is still before Congress. It hasn't been passed yet. And I would encourage everyone to uh, get a hold of Congress when this thing comes up for a vote and tell them to vote it down. It's it's not much better than what we have. It's, I mean, in some way, there's some labor protections. There's some minimum wages that that's uh, insisted upon in Mexico and in uh, other places. But on the whole, it's 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 still got this corporate orientation to it, and and, and it, it's a violation of our sovereignty. It's a violation of national self determination. And we need to get rid of these, all these trade agreements that have this investor state dispute settlement associated with it. I, I grew up for 30, for 40 years as an adult. I was never opposed to free trade. I thought low tariffs was a good idea. And then I found out, starting in 2015, about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and what they were doing there. I initially heard that it was a um, Citizens United decision on steroids, and I thought, well, that had to be hyperbolic. That, had, that just sounds crazy. I started studying this through this uh, Sunday evening webinar, trade, fair trade webinar, and the more I learned, the more horrified I was by what President Obama was attempting to do. We uh, dodged a bullet when Donald Trump was elected. It sounds bizarre, but when you understand just how pernicious and just how predatory and just how anti-democratic the Trans-Pacific Partnership would have been, you realize that, wow, Hillary Clinton really was no better, in fact, in some ways worse than Donald Trump, because what, um, oh, I forget his name, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager in 2016. Uh, Simone Sanders? No, no, she was a spokesperson, the the campaign manager. Okay. Jeff? Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, he wrote a book, and he he said that Obama was going to push for 
passing the resu- uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership in the lame duck session of Congress of 2016 had Hillary won the election. And Bernie, and, and, and Obama's very good in lame duck sessions. Jeff Weaver? <laughs> Jeff Weaver? Is that Jeff his name? Weaver, yes. Jeff Weaver's book on the 2016 election, he wrote about this, that Obama was going to push for the um, Trans-Pacific Partnership through Congress had Hillary won. So we absolutely, we, we took an arrow in the back. I mean, Trump is no uh, joyride, but we dodged a bullet when Hillary Clinton was defeated. These neoliberals are dangerous. They're un-American, they're anti-democratic, and and you wouldn't know that listening to the likes of MSDNC, I'm sorry, NBC, or the Clinton News Network, or reading the Washington Post, or the New York Times. These are all neoliberal um, publications or, or news media, uh, manufacturing consent, that's the phrase I was looking for earlier, that's their job, is to manufacture consent for endless wars, manufacture consent for this neoliberal order, for these free trade agreements. So you won't hear this kind of criticism of neoliberalism in mainstream media. And I think about as close as you get was my uh, opinion piece in Newsweek this week when I laid out uh, five of the five of the 14 characteristics of neoliberalism we list in our book, Bernie or Bust, Pioneers of Electoral Revolt. And if I could just say, it makes a great uh, Christmas gift. If you want to give the gift of peaceful revolution, uh, you, you can just uh, find it. You can go to BernieOrBust.info, and there's a link there to the right that will get you to the publisher, and you can order that book. And, and as I said, uh, give the gift of peaceful revolution uh, this holiday season. Uh, all right. Um, now, the next question is, at the end of your Newsweek article, you say that unless there's a recession, Bernie or Bust is a foregone conclusion. If there is a recession uh, by the 2016 election, do you think some of the other candidates, like a Joe Biden or an Elizabeth Warren, could have a chance uh, to beat Donald Trump? I think Mickey Mouse will have a chance to defeat Donald Trump. The only thing he's really got going for him is strong economic conditions, you know, high con- uh, consumer confidence, good stock market numbers, uh, low unemployment, low inflation. Th- those four things uh, make it very difficult to beat him. And, and if the economy collapses into a recession or there's a stock, even if there's a, a stock market crash before the election, sure, whoever the nominee is, will probably defeat whoever the uh, Republican is because, you know, it's it's possible that the Senate will use the impeachment to uh, get rid of Donald Trump. I, I think there's a lot of establishment Republicans who would be happy to use that opportunity to put Michael uh, Mike Pence in place of Donald Trump. All right. Um, and one more question before we move on into the news. Um uh, Bernie Sanders right now, I believe, is pulling at around 11%, maybe a little bit more, a little, maybe a little bit less. Um, but right now he's trailing in most of the national polls to Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. What do you think he can do to get his poll numbers up? I don't know if he can do anything. Um, I think... That's more up to 
his army has got to has got to uh, do more. So <clears throat> he's got an army of a million volunteers, and there's also this uh, pesky Bernier bus operation, which is separate from the campaign. And together, well, let me just talk about them. His volunteers are going door to door, and they they're taking their phones with them, and they have what's called Burnap which is a massive nationwide voter database. And so they ask people who their first choice is, are they registered to vote, you know, I, uh, who their second choice is, and they're entering this data. So that this time around, Bernie's not dependent upon uh, the DNC voter database. You remember that was a big problem last time with when the uh, – firewall between the two campaigns was temporarily taken down and 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 they cut Bernie's campaign off from that voter database. So this time there won't be any of that. He's not he's learned from last time and he's developing his own database and he's updating the database with this Burn app, which is a massive uh, voter database that they have on their campaign. So these people, the, this army needs to get out there and find these poor people and poorly educated people. Now, who am I talking about? I'm talking about Americans who have just given up. Remember, almost half of Americans don't even vote. And and there's an article, and I cover this loosely in the uh, Newsweek article. There's a study published by Thomas Piketty, French political economist, who looked at 70 years of voter behavior in the United States, England, and France. And he concluded that um, unless there's a social democrat on the ballot, or, if you will, a democratic socialist in the United States, millions of poor people, far more than Bernie or Busters, far more than Bernie or Trumpers, put together far more, millions of poor people will stay home. If the Democrats want to defeat Trump, again, barring a recession, they're going to have to nominate Bernie Sanders. And and his army are finding these people, making sure they're registered to vote. Hopefully they're going to get them out for the primaries. That's going to be key, getting them registered as Democrats in the states that require that, like New York where I live, getting them registered and getting them out to the polls so that they can um, cha- change this dynamic, this, this statistic that you cited to me. In your question and the other side is what we're doing right now your listeners might be coming aware of Bernie or bus for the first time or maybe they thought Bernie or bus was a few thousand people they didn't realize about the Bernie or buster or the Bernie or Trumpers they didn't realize and had no idea like we didn't have any idea in March and February of this year about the Bernie or bus generation they're just finding out about that and that's the other side the more people realize the Bernie Sanders is the only one, millions of people, Bernie or busters, Bernie or Trumpers, poor people, and as Piketty pointed out, poorly educated people, and to, uh, the, uh, that, it will, that will vote blue only if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Until people figure that out, those numbers aren't going to change. So this kind of conversation, I'm on other podcasts. Uh, we're trying to get Aaron Maté to interview me. Uh, we're trying to get other progressive people to interview me and and cover the Bernie or Bus movement until Democrats find out 
just how large and significant burn your butt is. As I said in that, as you quoted in that from that article, this is a foregone conclusion. We're not saying that because of wishful thinking. We have the numbers this time. We know from last time that the Bernie Busters and the Bernie Trumpers caused Hillary Clinton's defeat together, not separately. And this time around, we're even bigger. So we are completely confident that, that Bernie Sanders must be the nominee or the Democratic Party nom- uh, or the Democratic Party loses again to Trump or Pence. And to change those numbers, again, directly answering your question, it's going to be greater awareness by Democrats of what I'm describing here, that, that this isn't wishful thinking. We have the math to back up our assertion that Bernie or Bust is a foregone conclusion. If they want Trump reelected, go ahead and nominate uh, Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or any of these other neoliberal candidates. All right, so let's jump right into the news then. So this week, uh, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan uh, announced uh, his withdrawal uh, from the uh, from the race for president. He is the latest Democrat to drop out. Uh, Ryan said in an interview, or he said in a video uh, posted to his Twitter account uh, that he set out trying to give uh, the quote little guy a voice, uh, but uh, said that he. Um, uh, and said he was disappointed that he could not win, but still said he was proud of the message his campaign uh, offered. Uh, Ryan, throughout the campaign, uh, didn't make a lot of momentum, only averaging about 1% uh, in most polls. Uh, However, he did manage uh, to uh, get... Uh, he did manage to get into the first two rounds of Democratic debates. Uh, President Donald Trump on Twitter uh, was make, was mocking uh, Mr. Ryan, Representative Ryan, or Congressman Ryan, uh, saying uh, in a tweet, quote, So Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio is finally dropped out of the race for president, registering zero in the polls, and unable to even qualify for the debate stage. Sees Tim, it's not so easy out there if you don't know what you're doing. He wasn't effective for USA workers, just talk. Uh, this is the view from where I, uh, um, uh, Ryan later responded uh, to uh, Trump tweeting out a picture of a uh, General Motors plant in Lordstown, Ohio, that was uh, shut down, saying, quote, this is the view from where I live, Mr. President. Empty parking lot. He continued to say, used to be thousands of jobs, all on your watch. Uh, you said not to sell our houses. Same, same with Foxcom Carrier. Uh, you don't care about this. Put your phone down and start doing some work uh, for uh, someone other than yourself. Uh, Ryan will be running for re-election in his district. He had already registered to run for re-election before announcing his him dropping out. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, on Tim Ryan, uh, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, announcing his withdrawal from the 2020 presidential election? Well, he never recovered from the uh, um, brutal verbal assault that he got from Tulsi Gabbard in the first debate. 
you might remember she punched sideways and um, basically made it clear that his uh, voice he was giving to the working class people was, you're going to go to war for as long as I'm around, right? That was his thing. We got to stay in Afghanistan forever. And basically he's a warmonger. He's supporting the U.S. empire. So I'm very happy to see him go. I, he never had a chance. And for that matter, uh, basically anybody Tulsi Gabbard goes after doesn't really have a chance. She's, um, I don't know how to put this, because the only thing that comes to mind is, is, is like physical assault. When she comes after somebody, they don't get back up. Remember, she went after in the second debate, she went after Kamala Harris. And she hasn't recovered. She hasn't picked herself up off the mat yet. So as far as Ryan goes, you know, good riddance. Um, and, and as far as his back and forth with Trump, I don't know what pick that he sent. You know, it, this is very important, analyzing what we think we know. Is Ryan sending him an actual picture of a closed factory that closed during Trump or one that was closed before Trump came along? You know, there's political propaganda and it's important for us voters to not just accept something that some politician tweets out, whether it's Donald Trump or Tulsi Gabbard or Hillary Clinton or even Bernie Sanders. Check your facts. Make sure that that that, that what is being claimed there is true. And I know, uh, you know, who the hell has time to do all that when when we're busy with families and we're busy, you know, taking kids to soccer or musical events or or all these other things that just make it so difficult to um, to understand what's really true, and it's and if that's difficult on a national level, in in world affairs and foreign policy, like for example, what's happening in Syria, it is especially difficult to uh, understand the truth, what the actual facts are, rather than what's being reported by media that manufactures consent for war. So, you know, good riddance, Tim Ryan. He never had a chance to begin with. And frankly, I, I don't trust anything he has to say or tweet any more than I do um, Donald Trump, who, of course, is a pathological liar. But uh, Ryan is a warmonger, and I'm just very glad to see him gone and hopefully – uh, I, I don't think any of his supporters are going to turn around and, and get on board with Tulsi Gabbard after her slice and dice job, but maybe they'll, they, they will get behind Bernie Sanders. And, and that's what that's another answer to your earlier question, how will his numbers go up? Well, when various candidates drop out, and sooner or later they will, probably Yang, he may be one of the last ones to go because he's, he's still uh, actually improving his numbers a little bit. But eventually he'll drop out, too. There's no way this establishment is going to let an outsider do what Donald Trump did, which is come in and take over the party. Um, and then that's another way Bernie's numbers will go up. When people drop out, they're going to look at who represents working-class people, Bernie Sanders. Who represents peace rather than endless war, Bernie Sanders. Uh, who represents an end to the nuclear arms race. I'm old enough to remember the first one. I spent most of my adult life terrified, always night and day, because I didn't know what, what any moment there was going to be a thermonuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. Right? That was terror to me. The new terror, the, is, uh, the terror from the Middle East, 
doesn't scare me. I'm I'm way up here in upstate New York. I literally don't lose any sleep personally. I mean, it's terrible for people who are in the trade towers. I don't mean to diminish the the threat posed by these people, but it wasn't as dangerous as the threat posed by a an exchange between the superpowers. And you've got the establishment, the Democratic Party establishment, like Ryan, like Hillary Clinton, like Joe Biden, and like Elizabeth Warren, who seem keen on starting a new Cold War. So the so anybody who wants to avoid this kind of terror of new, uh, mutual assured destruction and probable end of the human race from a nuclear war with Russia might want to get behind someone like Bernie Sanders, who isn't going to uh, get on board with this kind of uh, insane nuclear arms race. Um, all right. Um, so, so let's, let's move, move on, on to the, the next, next story. story. Uh, so Canada uh, had their uh, elections this year uh, for prime minister. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau was up for re-election. It appears as though he will remain prime minister for another uh, four years. Uh, he did uh, ultimately uh, win uh, the uh, the major, uh, the most seats, but he did not get a majority of seats, only getting to 157 seats. Um, conservative, uh, the Conservative Party, led by Andrew Scheer, uh, got uh, gained 26 seats. Um, uh, the uh, the Bloc Quebecois Party uh, received uh, gained 22. Um, the, uh, the New Democratic Party lost, uh, 15, uh, the Green Party, led by Elizabeth May, received one, uh, and the People's Party, uh, led by, uh, Maximum Birner, uh, lost one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Canadian, uh, elections? I don't have an awful lot of thoughts. I'm, you know, I don't pay that much attention to it. I'm pretty focused on what I'm doing, uh, building this burn your bus strategy. Uh, so my only comment was that Prime Minister Blackface uh, lost support, and that's a good thing. All right, then let's move on to the next story. So California Congressman uh, Katie Hill uh, could be in some uh, trouble. Um, the Daily Mail uh, leaked pictures uh, of uh, Representative Hill, of Congresswoman Hill uh, that revealed that she was um, in a polygamous uh, relationship with her husband and another woman. Um, they also uh, leaked pictures uh, of her uh, in bed. Uh, or they, picked, uh, they leaked uh, nudes uh, of uh, Congresswoman Katie Hill. Uh, and, and they, they also, also leaked uh, a, uh, a a picture uh, of, of her with a Nazi, Nazi tattoo uh, on her uh, uh, on her arm. Um, Katie Hill uh, is now uh, threatening legal action uh, against the DailyMail.com for uh, leaking um, the uh, these photos. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it, uh, having a Nazi tattoo on your arm is quite a different thing than having a polygamous relationship. Uh, one's a private matter, but politicians don't really have a private life. It's, it's almost uh, impossible 
to have, to maintain privacy if you if you're a politician, and and that's not a, a great good thing. It's just a fact. Um, so whether she can sue over these pictures of of this uh, polygamous relationship and this private activity or not, uh, I don't know. I mean, she's a public figure. And I don't know how that has any relevance to um, whether she's worthy of votes or not. I don't think it does. So, on that side of the question, I, I think I hope she does sue and um, get plenty of money from the sleazy Daily Mail. On the flip side, this Nazi tattoo I think does have relevance for public policy. The fact that she was ever. Uh, aligned with something like that. I mean, it's, um, that, that matters. She, she, I mean, how do you run for office in the United States when you have a Nazi tattoo or a swastika on your arm or whatever it is that, that you're referring to? That seems pretty damning to me. And I think that is in the, in the public's interest to know about. So I don't, I can't imagine, um, she would be successful suing about that since it's on her arm and, you know, who knows, or wherever that tattoo might, might, might've been. So I, I, you know, obviously I have, depending on whether you're talking about, you know, sexual preferences or a Nazi tattoo, I have two different answers. All right. Uh, well, let's let's move move on then. then. Uh, so So this this week, Hawaii Hawaii Congresswoman, Tulsi Gabbard announced that she will not be seeking re-election to her district. Um, uh, uh, Gabbard said that even if she does not win the Democratic nomination for president uh, in uh, 2020, she still uh, will be retiring uh, from uh, her position uh, as Congresswoman representing Hawaii's second congressional district. Uh, Gabbard, Gabbard has represented that district, that district uh, since, since 2013, but says in 2020, she will pass the torch on to another Democrat. What are your thoughts on Tulsi Gabbard announcing her retirement? Well, I think there's more there than meets the eye. Um, it's, it's part of a much larger story that was part of this week's news. Um, that announcement was pretty shocking. I think... Um, uh, Boy, I wish I could remember his name. He um, he's a, he's not a podcaster. He's got a YouTube show, and I can't remember. Ugh. Kyle Kalinske. Ah, very good. He read my mind. Kyle uh, was shocked by that news. I was shocked by that news. Um, so in the United States, politicians don't do that. They run for Congress and they keep, or sorry, they run for president and they keep their job. And I always thought that was kind of strange. You know, if you're going to go for one job, drop your other job. So in a certain sense, what she's doing makes sense so she can focus on running for president. But I don't, I just, I don't know why she's dropping out of this race. She would easily win re-election, most of us believe. She could use some of the money she's raising for, as candidate for president to, for, to uh, run for re-election as a member of Congress. So it, 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 it's quite shocking, but it might be part of this bigger um story this week uh, from the interview the podcast interview uh of hillary clinton by uh what was his name david poff puff the uh, former 
chief of staff, Obama chief of staff, um, in which Hillary Clinton accused Tulsi Gabbard of being um, a Russian asset, which is pretty disgusting. It's it's uh, it's McCarthy neo McCarthyism uh, uh, in a way that is uh, we think a warm up, a preview of the kind of sleazy attacks the establishment are going to use against Bernie Sanders because he, with his current wife, ha- held their honeymoon in, in what was then the Soviet Union as part of a sister cities project, and, and you can be certain they're going to red bait uh, Bernie over that one sooner or later. These these neoliberals, these neo-McCarthyist neoliberals like Clinton. Um, so I want to get into... You didn't ask this question, but it's but it's very important. Why why did Hillary Clinton launch this attack against uh, Gabbard and Jill Stein? So Jill Stein, I think, is pretty easy. She accused her of doing it again, even though Jill Stein's not running. It's like uh, telling the American people that the, Hillary Clinton's telling the American people she has no idea what the hell's going on when it comes to Green Party politics. But what was why did she go after Tulsi Gabbard? So this goes back to the earlier part of this conversation when I talked about how Gabbard sliced and diced Ryan and then knocked War, uh, Harris to the map, right? And, and, and Harris hasn't recovered. Now, if you watch the fourth debate when Gabbard got back into it, she started to go after Elizabeth Warren. She addressed Elizabeth Warren. She began her question, and Aaron Burnett, CNN moderator, cut her off. And, and transition to commercial. I'm not the only one who noticed that. The establishment noticed that. And remember, Warren is consulting with Hillary Clinton. If you if you if if Hillary Clinton was unacceptable to you, you, you know, so should Warren be because they're they're consulting. I wouldn't be surprised if Elizabeth Warren starts saying, "I'm a progressive, but one who likes to get things done." And by the way, Elizabeth Warren has never said she's progressive. She's not. But anyway, they went after Gabbard to delegitimize Gabbard's voice in this debate. Hillary Clinton, the establishment, went after Gabbard to delegitimize her voice. And, and, and I can't help but suspect this is part of the reason Gabbard decided not to run for re-election. Because she's, a, she's a, again, I have a hard time describing how effective she is verbally assaulting uh, people like she did to Hillary Clinton in a twi- in a series of tweets. Oh, my God. I, I'm the, I never want to get into an argument or a, a verbal tussle with Tulsi Gabbard. She's vicious, absolutely vicious. And, and, she, and she's not deceitful. She's not, she doesn't call names. She called Hillary Clinton part of the rot of the Democratic Party, which I agree with. I, I think that's honest and, and accurate. That's the reason the Democrats keep losing is because of, of of Clintons, the Clintons and their and their neoliberal trade agreements and their pro corporate policies and their and abandonment of, of working class people. So, you know, I'm not inside Tulsi's mind. I can't I don't know how much this attack this neoliberal Clintonian sleazy attack on Tulsi affected her decision to not run for Congress. Um, but it's certainly something that uh, progressives need to pay close attention to. 
because these sleazy neoliberals know that progressive wing are coming after them. They're coming after their seats. They're going to primary these these uh, warmongers, these empire supporters, these free trade supporters, and they're going to try to unseat them and change the direction of American politics. There has been a very quiet corporate coup in this country. Most people, there's a great video about neoliberalism out there, and, and most people don't know that we're under a neoliberal regime, which is somewhat like being in the Soviet Union under Stalin and not knowing that they're living in a communist regime. Except it's not announced. You never heard Hillary Clinton say, I'm a neoliberal, but one who likes to get things done. No, she was lying. Like uh, uh, Joseph Goebbels came back from the dead and started advising her campaign in 2016. Just keep telling a lie and keep telling it over and over again, and people will believe it. And I don't know how many people bought that nonsense that Hillary Clinton was a progressive, but she's not at all. She's a neoliberal. She's she's part of this corporate order. And uh, that's what Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie Sanders are, are fighting against, is, is the establishment. Bernie doesn't hide that fact. He's, he's out to displace the establishment from the executive branch of government. It, this is a revolution, a peaceful revolution that's underway. So as to you know, why Gabbard did that. I, I I don't know if it's a good choice or a bad decision. I you know, I'm not in her mind, I'm not in her shoes. I, I don't I don't know what her calculus is. Maybe she's got other plans. I, because she's not gonna be the next president. She just doesn't have the organization behind her to win the Democratic Party nominee or nomination. And she was asked by someone in the media, I saw this somewhere if she's going to run as a third-party candidate, which is what Sleazy Clinton was trying to suggest in this podcast, and she smiled and she said, no, I'm saying it again, I'm not running as a third-party candidate. So, you know, I don't know what her plans are after she doesn't win the nomination. I'm sure she'll be supporting the nominee. Actually, I'm not sure, given this attack from Clinton, if if Biden's the nominee, I wouldn't be surprised if she... uh, you know, just went into private industry and or her own business, or you know, I just don't know what she's going to do if she doesn't win the nomination. But I, I'm certain of of this: if Bernie Sanders is the nominee and he defeats either President Trump or President Pence, I am certain Tulsi Gabbard is going to be part of his administration and deservingly so. All right. Um, so let's move on. Uh, to the next uh, story. So the next story is involving uh, the Brexit controversy. Uh, so right now, um, uh, Brexit, uh, Boris Johnson's Brexit vote uh, failed in Parliament. Uh, it's looking uh, now as if uh, a um, a uh, a, an, an extension, extension uh, could, could be coming, could, could be approved by the European, European Union uh, to January. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson is encouraging a new election uh, in England. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Again, this is a foreign country, and I'm really focused on the American scene. It, it's it's 
there's a lot of articles I would love to read when they come my way through email, and I just don't have time to absorb this because I'm extremely focused uh, on this project um, of of getting Bernie Sanders the nomination. So I don't have much of a thought about the the question as you posed it. The only thing I would uh, address is Brexit itself, that vote, uh, was seen as kind of a right-wing thing, but it really represents, again, part of this uh, collapse of support for this neoliberalism. The, uh, the European Union has become this uh, neoliberal corporate order, and it's sad because it wasn't supposed to be that. A common market made sense, but it's a corporate-controlled market. And, you know, some of Brexit had to do with racism. There's no question about that. Anti-immigration. It was largely right-wing, but it was also some working-class rejection of of um, basically decisions being made at high level, you know, in Brussels, a high level of government beyond the national government that they had no effect in whatsoever. There was one vote uh, in the entire you know, when you're a citizen of the economic or the uh, European Union, there's only one candidate you, you you vote for that goes to that union. It's not especially democratic in nature. Um, so uh, th- that's really all I have to say about Brexit itself. It, it's it's um, I doubt I would have voted for it if I'd been in uh, in England at the time because it, it most of it was sort of racist and sort of anti-racist um, and, and, and uh, what am I trying to say, nationalist rather than international. But at the same time, there, there were legitimate progressive reasons to support Brexit. So, and, and that's about all I've got to say on that because of my focus on the uh, current race. All right. Um, and uh, speaking of going back to Tim Ryan, he may not be the only Democrat getting out soon. Uh, former, former U.S. Secretary, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castro, uh, is threatening to drop out. He is saying that he needs to get uh, 130,000, or sorry, 800,000 individual donors uh, by Halloween, uh, or he will suspend his campaign uh, for president, his 2020 campaign for president, uh, permanently. Uh, and, and withdraw, withdraw his name from the field. field. Uh, uh, what, are what are your thoughts? thoughts? Do you think, think that Julian Castro has a chance to get there? Or, and, or, and what, what are your, your thoughts, thoughts on him threatening, threatening to drop out? Bye-bye. I, you know, he, he's a nice guy. I, I don't have anything personal against him. He's pleasant enough. Uh, but I just don't trust him because he's part of the Obama administration. And... Um, and, and best of luck to him. I think, you know, hopefully he'll vote for some progressive things like Medicare for All after uh, uh, Bernie Sanders becomes the next president of the United States. Uh, but, you know, my my hope is that his supporters will, will lean progressive and not neoliberal. We don't need uh, – it's not that we don't need <laughs> – a neoliberal, whether it's uh, I don't know Biden or or uh, Warren, uh, so I'm really concerned about his supporters more than him. Like 
I'm not saying good riddance, don't get me wrong, but, you know, best of luck to uh, Secretary Castro, and, and, and I hope he does well in his, his future endeavors. That's right, he was, he's not the congressman, that's his twin brother, I He's the former U.S. U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and then before that, he was the mayor of San Antonio, Texas. I wish him the best. I'm sure he'll run for election somewhere for something and, and get elected. He's, he's pleasant enough. He's a nice guy. But my interest is in his supporters and hoping that, that they will vote against or they will back a candidate who's opposed to endless wars, who's opposed to regime change wars, who's opposed to American imperialism, and who's opposed to endless wars, and that would be, of course, Senator Sanders. So that's about all I have to say about that. It just would encourage his supporters to uh, look in a progressive direction. All right. Uh, well, well, let's, let's uh, move on to the next story. story. So, so the impeachment, impeachment uh, battle is continuing. continuing. Uh, this, this week, week however... Uh, while, while Democrats, Democrats uh, were holding a closed-door closed meeting with one of the um, witnesses uh, in the impeachment case, uh, uh, Republican uh, members of Congress stormed in to the meeting uh, angry over the idea uh, of a closed-door meeting. Uh, Democrats uh, are claiming that this did not violate any of the rules, uh, uh, or any of the Congress rules, while Republicans are arguing it should be public, um, uh, as they argue an impeachment would be an undoing of democracy, and they believe because of that it should be public. Democrats arguing that no rules were broken, uh, and that Republicans disrupted the testimony of the witness. What are your thoughts on Republicans breaking into the, uh, to the uh, closed-door hearing for the impeachment? Yeah, I agree with Tulsi. I think this whole process needs to be more transparent. And, uh, you know, a lot of Democrats got really upset because she went on Fox News and, and, and made that announcement. She's, she's, Tulsi's got more uh, courage than everybody else running combined, and that includes Bernie Sanders. Um, so there does need to be more transparency there. I don't, I don't think the Democrats are doing this inquiry properly at all. Lee Camp, I don't know if you know who he is. He's uh, the host of Redacted Tonight. He's a very funny progressive comedian. And he has a podcast with uh, Eleanor Goodman, Goldman, something like that. And they were discussing the impeachment process. And the Democrats are not doing this normally. They're not doing this. um, They're not giving Republicans subpoena power, which they should have. It doesn't make sense. They're, they're, They're rigging this in a way that's divisive. They're not going to get support from, from moderates or um, conservatives, principled conservatives who want the president to follow the law um, because of the way they're handling this. They're, they're, they're cramming this. They're, just, they're not doing it right. I, don't trust, I do not trust the Democrats any more than I trust Republicans. Even the so-called progressives, all these progressives in the Democratic Progressive Party caucus, most of them endorsed Hillary Clinton last time. I, I, I don't think that's progressive at all. So, so I just don't try. I, I don't support um, Donald Trump, but the, a lot of these Democrats who are engaged in this 
I don't mean, you know, freshmen, obviously, or anybody who's only been around for two or four years, but the people who were, uh, the Democrats who were in office during Obama administration probably didn't bat an eye when Obama had an American citizen murdered without any due process whatsoever in violation of the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments. So there's a horrible partisan double standard in Washington, again, surrounding this post-constitutional order that is the American empire that's been in place since World War II. And <clears throat> so I, I don't trust what's going on. I don't know if uh, the Republicans storming them, storming that session was any more than a stunt. There were Republicans in that session. Um, so again, th there's a question of what information do you have? Do you believe what, you know, I, I, I don't think this is a witch hunt. I, I think it's pretty clear, uh, Trump abused power when he wanted, uh, the Ukrainian president to dig up some dirt on Joe Biden. I think that's a violation of campaign finance law. Just like uh, his paying Stormy Daniels money to keep her quiet was a violation of campaign finance law. And, um, you know, so it's typical Trump. He's a sleazebag and, and, and should be impeached legally, should be impeached emotionally. <clears throat> but politically, I don't think this is a wise move at all. Because think about the outcomes, that there's two outcomes that are going to come from this. If he's impeached, it's going to go to the Senate. And either he's going to be found guilty, which means instead of having Democrat nominee, whoever it is, campaigning against a scumbag, revolting plutocrat like Donald Trump, he'll be, they'll be running against fairly normal, acting, conservative, neoliberal establishment Mike Pence. So, you know, it, I think it's easier to run against Donald Trump than Mike Pence. So what if he's found not guilty by the Senate, which I would consider to be the best pro probability? Then Trump is going to be able to say, see, I told you, another witch hunt. And he's going to be able to get swing voters to come over to his side because the Democrats, he's going to argue, did nothing but obstruct progress, obstruct his agenda, obstruct job creation, obstruct this, obstruct that, you know, because they're not getting much done in Congress, uh, in part because of this impeach impeachment process. So either outcome, guilty or not guilty in the Senate, is not going to be good for whoever the Democratic Party nominee is. And I, I'm pretty certain Nancy Pelosi understood that, because she was extremely reluctant to advance the uh, impeachment proceedings. But basically, her caucus forced her hand, right? Enough Democrats came out in support of impeachment that she couldn't resist that. But I don't think it's smart. It, it's Legally, it's, it's the right thing to do. Emotionally, it feels good. But And it's not about overturning the last election. It is about the rule of law. But why did they suddenly discover the rule of law now, these Democrats, and ignore it when Obama was out there killing Americans with no due process? Mm. So I just think it's, it's a, a, a horrible double standard. And I, I don't trust 
again, I don't trust the blue team. I don't trust the red team. I trust Bernie Sanders. All right. Uh, and with that, let's move on to the next story. Uh, Minnesota, Amy, uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar has qualified for the November uh, debates. Um, uh, the debates happening in November. She is the uh, ninth candidate uh, to qualify for uh, the November uh, debates. Um, which will be on, uh, uh, for the fifth debate, which will be on MSNBC and will be a, uh, a collaboration between MSNBC and the Washington Post. It'll be held on November 20th. Uh, so far, uh, it's going to be moderated by Rachel Maddow, Andrea Mitchell, Christian Welker, and Ashley Parker. Um, so far, the candidates that the other candidates outside of Klobuchar that have qualified include former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris, businessman Andrew Yang, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, uh, and businessman Tom Steyer. Uh, what, are uh, what are your thoughts, thoughts on, on Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar uh, qualifying for, for the latest Democratic, Democratic debate? I don't know who's uh, donating to her. She has about as much charisma as Hillary Clinton. but And that's about all I've got to say about her. My, uh, I don't know how large your audience is, but my recommendation for anybody who's still listening at this point would be to donate money to Tulsi Gabbard, especially if you're a supporter of Bernie Sanders. Bernie cannot attack Elizabeth Warren, right? He's going to be charged. He's going to be accused of sexism. He's got to play nice with Elizabeth Warren. Tulsi Gabbard can slice and dice Warren and expose her as the fraud that she is. And that's why I think it's important for burners, Bernie supporters, who have not donated to Tulsi Gabbard yet to do so. Get her in these debates. She is... Um, she she can do what Bernie can't do in these things, which is tear these uh, neoliberal women running for president, a new one, the way she did Harris and the way she was beginning to before the Clinton News Network moderator cut her off. Uh, I think it's important to get uh, Gabbard back in, back in this... Uh, Debate back on the debate stage so she can do what she's so exceptionally good at, which is rip apart these warmongering neoliberals. All right. Well, well let's, let's move, move on, on to, to the, the next, next story. story. So, so the, the next, next story is, is involving the next, next debate after this, which, which is, is slated to be uh, in, uh, 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 slated to be held on December 19th, 2019. Uh, little, little is known, known about which venue this will be on, although it is looking like this will be a part of the PBS News Hour. Um, uh, it will be held in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Democrat, the, D, the Democratic National Committee announcing that they will uh, they will uh, raise the threshold once again. Um, there must be. 200,000 unique donors uh, with 800 uh, unique donors in 20 different states. 
territories or the District of Columbia. Uh, additionally, uh, candidates must be receiving 4% in four national polls uh, to uh, be in this debate. So far, only three candidates have made both requirements, those three being former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and, and Vermont, Vermont Senator uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Sanders. Uh, uh, five candidates have made the donor requirements, those five being uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris, businessman uh, Andrew Yang, uh, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, and Minnesota, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, um, but uh, only those three have made the uh, don't have made both requirements so far. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, my focus is on the moderators and the hosts, whether it's PBS, MSDNC, Washington Post. There is a Washington consensus which is an equivalent phrase for neoliberalism. And I think Washington consensus is the right phrase to use when I talk about these debate hosts and moderators. There is a Washington consensus that Bernie Sanders is to be stopped. And you hear it in some of these questions, the way they're posing questions about Medicare for all. They, they ask questions from the right-wing perspective the neoliberal perspective. So in a certain sense, I think these debates shouldn't matter at all, but obviously for some people they do. And it certainly gives, uh, would give war, uh, a Gabbard a chance to do what she's so very, very good at. So again, my, my, my suggestion is twofold. One, support Gabbard, a dower, even if you're a burner, support Gabber and get her on the stage and let her do what she's so good at. And then the other thing is um, be very weary about PBS. I, I used to like PBS. I used to think it was fairly objective and neutral, but they're not. They're, they're part of the establishment, sadly, uh, because they're corporate funded. Right? They used to be public funded. Now they're largely corporate funded. And when you are funded by corporations, you don't cross lines that the corporations don't want you to cross. And that means stopping Bernie Sanders. So it's this is a revolution. I, I can't stress this enough. Bernie calls it a political revolution, and it really is. He's trying to get people who have been disenfranchised, demobilized, and alienated from the entire political system in this country, poor, poorly educated people, according, to, again, to Piketty, <clears throat> people who don't vote. Trying to get them into the system in order to win an election and change the fundamental dynamics of this country. First of all, you know we have a corporate state. That, that's another way of putting this, uh, expressing this neoliberal order. We don't have a democratic order. We don't have a democratic order. That is a big fat lie. What we have is an oligarchy. Bernie talks about that word a lot. We and and this isn't just his opinion. This comes from a 2014 study by, uh, what are their names? I had this memorized earlier. Two political scientists who looked at 30 years of uh, 
lawmaking in Congress. And what they came, what they concluded was, if, if rich people and highly paid special interests, corporate interests, want a bill passed, then the chances are pretty good of that bill getting passed. If you, working stiffs like you and I want a bill passed in large numbers, there's very little chance it's going to get passed unless the fat cats also want it passed. We don't live in a democratic order. Gillums and Page are the two authors of this study published in 2014. We live in an oligarchy, which Jimmy Carter has also come out and recognized. I would like to see Jimmy Carter endorse Bernie Sanders. I think that would shake things up a bit. But we'll see, because he was actually the first neoliberal Democrat. Neoliberalism in the United States began under Jimmy Carter and has been continuous ever since. And you wouldn't know that watching MSDNC, CNN, even Fox, reading the Washington Post or the New York Times. Because they're part of the problem, so I don't want to get—I don't want to put myself in Trump's shoes and call them fake news. But they're not the fourth estate. They're not there to challenge the state unless they disagree with the state. You know, unless they disagree with the policies like Trump. They—they certainly, obviously, don't like Trump, and that's part of the reason why I think so many. To go back to an earlier question. So many Bernie supporters are flipping over to Trump if Bernie's not the nominee because they see Trump as somebody outside of the establishment, and they like that, even though he's a, a neo-fascist. All right, uh, and, uh, and one, one more story, story before, before we wrap, wrap up. Uh, uh, Utah, Utah uh, Senator uh, Mitt Romney, Romney now uh, under, under fire. fire. Uh, he uh, uh, had a fake Twitter account, uh, which he ran called Pietro Delecto, where he posted some of his political opinions. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things going on with Twitter. There's bots, and believe me, they're not all Russian bots. There's uh, establishment bots. There's um, right-wing conservative bots. So having a fake account isn't, it's obviously not illegal. Um, you know, it depends. This is, this, this is an interesting question because the answer has to do with my political bias. And that's, and, and it, so if I were a, a pro-Romney conservative, I would say, it's a brilliant idea, right? So he can express opinions that he can't express as himself. He can let his true colors show, and he doesn't have to hide the fact of who he is because, because it's secret. No one knows who he is. And if, if I were an anti-conservative, which I am, critic of Romney, I would say it's a sleazy, underhanded way to express yourself. And, and here's what's key about those two answers. They are both the truth. And I realize some of your listeners are going to have, their hard, have a hard time wrapping their heads around this. There's a philosophy 
called pluralism. It has to do with the fact, or theory, that there are multiple truths. Truth is a human construct. The reality, the outside world reality. You look out the window, you see something that's out there. Let's say it's something non-political, non-controversial, a tree. That is external reality. That's not the truth. When we say the tree is green, now we're expressing a truth about that tree. It's a construct that's created in our minds. So when it comes to political truth, like expressing an opinion about really anything, a, a presidential speech, somebody dropping out of a race, um, somebody having a secret Twitter account. There are multiple truths, depending on your bias. And people confuse external reality, and there's only one out there external reality, with truth, which is a human construct about that reality. A human construct that's um, tinted, is the word I used, colored by our values, by our political orientation, also by our education. The more information we have, the different, the, the more refined truth we can ex express. If I knew more about uh, Romney's secret Twitter account, I might have a better truth to convey about it, but I don't have that inf much information. I'm operating largely based on what you're telling me happened. Assuming that that's the truth, then I offered two different truths about that reality. My point is, even when someone tells the truth, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are conveying external reality in an accurate manner, especially if it's an external reality that has to do with political speech whether it's a presidential speech or my essay in Newsweek this week, right? That's, a, that's political speech. It's political voice being given to a movement. People are going to read that and have different opinions about it based on their values, based on their education, based on their level of knowledge, based on their uh, upbringing. That's another factor that comes into what frames truth. That is, an individual, individual's ability to accurately convey, an, uh, or accurately convey, uh, express uh, that external reality, right? So, the, the, so there's two tints that take place. When we observe something, we listen to a, a speech, we listen to a debate, we hear it in a way that's affected by our values, affected by our education, affected by our upbringing. And then it's tinted again, colored again, changed again, modified again, when we express our understanding of that political speech, of that political event, of that, it could be an assassination, it could be somebody dropping out of a race. There's bias in everything. Bias is inherent in the human condition. And because of that, truth is multiple. 
there are multiple versions of the truth because there's a different point of view for every person who's alive. Right? We we all don't see things in the same way. That doesn't mean we're person who you know. If, if, if go back to your question, somebody who says it was a sleazy tactic on Romney's part to have a secret Twitter account. That's not a lie. Right? It's it's the truth from that person's perspective. And he, just like it's the truth for a Romney supporter to say, yeah, that was clever. It really gives him a, a way to get back at, at Trump without Trump even knowing who's coming at him. Right? So, again, both statements are truth, but they're colored by different values, different perspectives. And, and <clears throat> I realize this is, this is really hard for some people to wrap their heads around because uh, I, I've I've developed this theory of truth ever since grad school, and I finally published a uh, post about it. I used to be a blogger, the Glenn Beck Review. I was a critical analyst of Glenn Beck's show when he was on Fox. And it allowed me to use him as a subject for the truth, or the truths, plural, about Glenn Beck. You know, if you're progressive, Glenn Beck is a horrible liar. If you're a reactionary or a libertarian like he is, Glenn Beck is a truth teller. Uh, Who's telling the truth? From yeah. their perspective, from their perspective, they're telling the truth. From a progressive perspective, I was telling the truth by arguing that he's either mistaken because he's factually wrong or he's lying. But, but that was also the truth. So to, to, to summarize, the, this, it, you have to be very careful. There's a big difference, and I, and I cover this in the book because people were accusing me of lying because I was mistaken about what happens in California when people write in Bernie Sanders. So we had gotten some bad information, and I kept repeating that information. And I was repeating that false information until I finally called the Secretary of State's office in California and got the factual information. And then I changed my story. I changed my version of the truth. The first version of the truth wasn't a lie. It was a mistake. And I admitted that mistake in the book. We admitted, admitted a lot of mistakes in the book. It's, it's the uh, dirt and the beauty of, of peaceful revolution in uh, Bernie or Bust Pioneers of Electoral Revolt, and that's one of them. That's, there's a distinction that people should make between somebody who's mistaken, you can't call everyone who's saying something factually inaccurate a liar. They might actually believe that, and if they believe that to be the truth, they're not lying, they're mistaken. So it's very important that, in the case of Donald Trump, I don't know if it, which it is. I think he might be uh, as Bernie says, a, a pathological liar. I think he might believe some of the crap that he says. That's just obviously not true, uh, which makes him psychologically dubious at best. But um, that, that, that's my that's my final thing here: is 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 be very careful about what truth is, whose version of the truth. You know, when people say well, you must tell the truth, you have to ask yourself, whose truth? Your truth? My truth? The candidate's truth? Who must tell the truth? Because people think truth is much more simple. People confuse truth with the external world that is out there. The, the one single 
external world, complex, involved, crazy external world that exists. People confuse that with the truth. The truth is a narrative about that outside world, and that narrative changes from person to person. All right. Um, before you head out, do you want to tell people where you can be found uh, on social media uh, and other platforms? Sure. Of course, on Twitter, we are Bernie or Bust, at Bernie or Bust. That's how that phrase came about. We were looking for a Twitter name. So you can follow me there. And on Facebook, I'm uh, the administrator of the page Revolt Against Plutocracy. Plutocracy is a government of, by, and for the rich. We are in revolt against that plutocracy. Uh, so you can leave me a message there if you have a question or you want to volunteer. And if you have a Instagram account or you're active on Instagram and you want to help out with Instagram, we do not have an Instagram Bernie or Bust account, and we would really need one. We would appreciate someone stepping up and doing Instagram for us. So you can, again, reach me on Twitter. You can reach me on Facebook, and, uh, and we'll get you set up with memes. We'll get you set up with videos. We'll get you set up. There's also Bernie or Bust television on YouTube. That's being run by someone else who's on the Revolt Against Plutocracy Decision-Making Committee. It's great, great television. You're going to get truth there that you're not going to get anywhere else. But but that's it. Burn your bus or on Twitter or Revolt Against Plutocracy on Facebook. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, you again, again for joining uh, me, Victor, Victor Tiffany. Tiffany. Um, everyone, everyone listening, make sure to stay after for Presidential Profiles 2020. 2020 and, and make sure to tune in next Tuesday uh, when we have an episode from Washington. Uh, Victor Tiffany, thank you for joining me again. Nolan, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This is about Trump. He is one of President Donald Trump's few Republican challengers during the 2020 election. His election made headlines in 2010. He was considered one of the most controversial members of Congress at one point. He was once a supporter of Trump in 2016, but has since turned against him. Who is Joe Walsh? the former Illinois congressman seeking the Republican nomination for the presidency. The candidates keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. William Joseph Walsh was born on the 27th of December, 1961 in North Barrington, Illinois to Susan and Charles. The sibling of five, Walsh's father was a mortgage banker. In the 1980s, Walsh considered a career in acting, and took on many roles in theater. However, 
He later became a social worker, trying to reform the lives of young people. He taught history at Oakton Community College and the Hebrew Theological College. He married Laura Walsh in 1987. In the 1990s, Walsh held multiple successful fundraisers for school choice. He raised $1 million for an organization helping children in Nigeria suffering from poverty. He worked for many libertarian think tank organizations such as the Milton and Rose Friedman Foundation and the Heartland Institute. In 1996, he made his first political run for the U.S. House of Representatives, challenging Democratic incumbent Sidney R. Yates. Walsh campaigned riding around on a bicycle. Yates was 87 when he ran for re-election that year, while Walsh was only 34. To gain more widespread attention, Walsh performed what were seen by many as outrageous students. He paid Yates' apartment doorman $1,000 to throw him a birthday party which featured giving Yates a cake with two 87 birthday candles on top. Many accused Walsh of playing the age card, which he denied. To attempt a long-shot win, Walsh took more liberal stances on major issues, arguing for abortion rights and gun control. In spite of this, President Bill Clinton's re-election win that year benefited Yates, who defeated Walsh by a 63-37% margin. Walsh's second shot at a political run came in 1998, when he ran against Democrat Jeffrey Schoenberg. As Walsh's campaign revolved around public school funding, he ran a school bus up and down lanes, Schoenberg defeating Walsh by a 62-38% margin. Walsh disappeared from the political scene for many years. He divorced his wife in 2002. He married Helena Miller, who would go on to become a member of the Illinois State Legislature. In 2010, however, he put his hat in the ring once more, announcing another run for U.S. House of Representatives, this time targeting Illinois 8th Congressional District which was considered a right-leaning district until Democrat Melissa Bean won in 2004. Walsh ran to face Bean that year. Walsh ran on a more conservative platform, leading to an endorsement from many Tea Party movement supporters, helping him to secure the nomination. After doing so, he faced Bean in the general election. The race became hotly contested leading up to the end. The Republican National Committee saw little opportunity for Walsh to win, and didn't spend any money in this district. In spite of this, Walsh beat Bean by less than a point. In the House he supported Zionist ideas, and took a hard-line stance against abortion. In 2012, a redistricting led to Walsh suing over allegations that the districts were drawn to be too biased against Republican and Hispanic voters. He alleged that the newly drawn 8th district was too heavily Democratic. Walsh argued he'd run in the 14th district challenging incumbent Republican Randy Hultgren if the issue wasn't resolved. Many conservative groups endorsed Walsh, until he came under fire for unpaid child support bills. Following this, many groups withdrew their endorsement of him. Walsh decided to continue running in the 8th District, 
facing former Assistant Secretary of the VA Tammy Duckworth. Ultimately, Duckworth beat Walsh by a 55-44% to 44% margin. Following this, Walsh started his own radio show for many years. In 2015, Walsh announced that if former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton were to win the presidency, he'd run for president in 2020. In 2016, he endorsed Republican businessman Donald Trump's campaign for the presidency. In 2018, Walsh announced he had withdrawn his support for Trump after Trump said he believed the Russian Intelligence Committee over his own appointed Intelligence Committee members. In summer of 2019, Walsh announced he would challenge Trump on the Republican line. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.